0: Hi, this is John Van Lunen, and you are listening to Treasures of the Outer Banks. In this podcast, we talk to people who live on the Outer Banks, and through their stories, we'll explore what makes this place so special. So if you downloaded this podcast to find out where the goal is hidden, my apologies. But if you want to meet the people we treasure on this sandbar, stick around. I'm sure you'll enjoy their stories of history, local personalities, and community. I've known Megan Agresto for about five years, I coached her oldest son in lacrosse at First Flight High School. Like most of the relationships I have with lacrosse parents, ours was very casual. To be frank, I had no idea what she did for a living. Had I known a long time ago, I probably would have talked to her a lot more because it's fascinating. This talk is total gold. She knows everything you need to know about the Curtuk Lighthouse and the surrounding area. She's obviously a big part of the community, she's embraced it. And I think they've embraced her in return. She holds a couple titles. She is the site manager for the Currituck Lighthouse compound, which has a few buildings as well as the lighthouse. And that is run by a nonprofit organization called the Outer Banks Conservationists. She is also president for the Board of Ca- Directors ha- for the Waters ha- Edge here, Village December
1: School, which is a charter is school for the young Nevada people in Kerala. I think
0: you're going to love this interview. Her energy is Carolina. off the charts, and I think and I we think had a great conversation. Some
1: I'm already planning Popeye's my next interview with
0: her, and I hope people. to touch upon so the two female, female hitchhikers online, that she picked up a long time ago. we got to get to the bottom of that.
1: But sit back and relax and
0: enjoy this talk with Megan Agresto, Curituck Lighthouse. How was it lugging that? Kite up up and down the sand dunes all day.
1: Okay, so I loved (laughs) that part of it. I liked teaching. The minimum wage at that time was not excellent and we had to carry that thing 25 times up. I think it was five flights, five people. I can't remember exactly, but in two hours. So was I in amazing shape? Yes. Did I have to get two other jobs to just pay rent? Did I leave the Outer Banks that summer? With not one more dollar than I came with? Yes. All I did was work until three in the morning. I worked at George's Junction, right. like made their desserts right. at some point and waited tables at the Blue Moose, which doesn't exist anymore either, which is now Hurricane Moe's. Okay. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. On 12th. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. But seriously, at what, we used to have to have bake sales during the day to try to make <laughs> more money just to
0: pay. Do you remember what year this was?
1: Ninety summer 96, I think.
0: Okay. Yeah. I got here summer 97.
1: Wait, hold on. No, it was the summer I turned 21 because on my 21st birthday, we went to <laughs> that. There used to be like this falling apart uh, amusement park.
0: Yes. And there were some... On the mil- bypass?
1: On the bypass. And there were yeah. some... We decided to go ride a ride and he wouldn't turn it off. He was drinking. It was such a wild 21st I wasn't even drinking. He wasn't. He wouldn't let us off the ride. And we were like, we we're the only people on the ride. It was like absolutely on its way down. My so right. if I was born in 74, it must have been somewhere in 95.
0: Okay, gotcha. And, uh, and so it got in your blood, the Outer Banks? A
1: little. I didn't want to leave. Right. right? I, did, I was like, but I see the ocean every day. I can't leave. And then I left, and then life was fine too, which is, I think, some pe- sure. people on the other banks forget. We get so used to being like, yeah. oh, the water. Uh, but then in 2005, a job came open here at the Curtech Beach Lighthouse. And I was like, but that's my job. Like, working at the lighthouse... It was a combination of what I felt was everything I was good at, the which history was history and all this stuff. Yeah, so that. the history and the nonprofit aspect of it, which is the only two things I had done, in, well, minus washing dishes in Alaska. It was those <laughs> two, the, I guess, and teaching hand gliding, but I felt like that was a combination of my professional skills.
0: So, so, dishwasher was not real high on the uh, restaurant. Dishwasher was the worst <laughs> job I ever. Although it's
1: funny because, I, again, I was 22. I washed dishes for a summer in Alaska. But now I tell all the restaurants out here, you want me to wash dishes for a night? Call me. I'll wash your. I, I, I got it now. <laughs> Give me a job I don't have to think about right. every now and then. Right. Um, but so I actually approached the board, the Outer Banks Conservationist Board, and said, hey, you don't know me. But I hear you have a job opening, and Luis and I, who came together with, or at the time we had one child, said, together we make a great pair for you, because he's got the building and grounds stuff right. together, I've got the operational personality, yeah. can boss people around if need be, <laughs> right. or do the research if you want, write for you, whatever that side of Did the operation you operations. get a degree in history? I have a degree in the Classics Department from Carolina in Ancient Greek Translation it was only somebody right really could have said I actually ended up spending a year in Spain also I dropped out and spent a year in Greece I didn't know what I was doing so whatever was fascinating for me is what which is still true today right if I'm We're, like
0: you're like me you're always that squirrel looking for right
1: not even looking no I'm not ever looking but if something comes my way and it's fascinating then I'm like all right I'm in I'm fully in cool um so I felt like that was a lot of Uh, Research and history anyway, that put together um, an appreciation not to be glib, but that people who are now dead were once alive and Mm -hmm. that they have things to offer us and, you know, we will be them one day as well. And so let's figure it out and Mm -hmm. learn more.
0: Right. So you talked your way into a job. I
1: talked my, we (laughs) talked our way into this job. Uh, And then we ended up having a second son Mm -hmm. while we were here. We were living in the keeper's house. And then real life happened. then they needed to go to school and right. Kerala had a school dearth yeah. <laughs> um, or also no school. Uh, and
0: did, they, did you ever entertain driving all the way back to the mainland to take your kids to class?
1: Uh, no, there is a bus. There has always been a bus. I was just not going to put a five year old for four and a half hours on a bus every day. Yeah. Right. And actually at the time, then I was able to convince Currituck to give the per-student allotment to DARE. It's just there was a difference in tuition. So we ended up paying for public school and driving back and forth twice a day, which really cut into work <laughs> up here. So that's where the idea of starting a school right. came up, uh, which takes way more time than just listening to the radio and driving to Kitty Hawk. But that's a whole different story.
0: <laughs> yeah. And you and I was reading about that, that venture that you and Sylvia, Sylvia. Wolf. Uh-huh, yep. you got it. Uh, creating this school—it's—it's it's just amazing. Um,
1: yeah. Somebody probably has, has should it have been. been has it been
0: a labor of love, or is it, it has it been
1: a labor of love. Yeah. I mean, I don't have kids who go to that school anymore. I've got a kid in college right now, yeah. and I still—if you look at that pile right there—I put a lot of time into making sure we're trying to build a new, an additional building now. So that's a one point three five million dollar capital campaign. Right. We've already hit a million. Right. So, and just really talking to people about need and what our commissioner yesterday called skin in the game i feel like when it comes to that and education for kids up here we've got that
0: and right yeah you're motivated to keep the kids here instead of wasting all that time on the highway
1: absolutely right and it just allowed for people who work here already to not have to move now that's changed a little bit because now people with second homes like the idea of coming to a school here that's a different thing that's a different group of people than we started with, which was essentially you work at the gas station, you work at that restaurant, you're a life, you know, part of the, the ocean rescue and you have a kid. You don't have to just cross county lines to get to Dare County Schools.
0: Right. Yep. Make the community a better community.
1: Or a more year-round vibrant community. It doesn't mean that that's a welcome change necessarily to the people who want this to be an you know, a occupancy tax generating town alone but it turns out that that's short-sighted you can't just generate occupancy tax without people to work there Uh, which means you need people with houses and you need them to want to stay
0: so what's the name of the organization that owns and runs this whole facility here
1: sure the lighthouse is actually owned by the outer banks conservationists and we lease the property inside the fence from the state of north carolina and the coast guard maintains our active public aid to navigation the beacon at the top is coast guard controlled because we continue to shine every night
0: wow okay does that keep you up at all not a bit
1: (laughs) (laughs) but it's funny i do know it hardly has ever gone dark but i can tell and louise can tell immediately well you just walk outside and you know every 17 seconds of darkness will be followed by three seconds of light and we now know what 18 seconds of darkness nah, feels nah, like. Nah. You're like, oh, something has gone wrong. Yeah. Did someone accidentally switch the fuse? Which sometimes the docents who work here, if they're Unplugged, in a rush to accidentally go. Accidentally. Tripped yeah. over the extension no, cord. No, there's no extension <laughs> cord. It's just a fuse. But it, we do shut all our fuses off at night, except for that one.
0: Uh, it's the way to turn
1: the fans and the lights off. But that one has on occasion been accidentally turned off. That's funny.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> um Okay, so, so they... And they... And so the... Uh, what was, what was the... the Outer Banks Conservationist. Conservation And they own the school and do they help... No. no. So that's a separate you, non-profit. You leased the property to run that school and that's a separate nonprofit.
1: That's a separate nonprofit, and actually we don't... Uh, the Twitty family owns that building. Uh, well, I guess... Because it
0: got relocated a long time ago? No.
1: That no? schoolhouse okay. is... So that schoolhouse was built in the 1890s wow. with permission from the federal government written or the, the request was made by lighthouse keepers. To, to And I don't know if that meant funding because I only have this receipt from the National Archives that says, uh, go ahead and approve this request. So, and it was obviously approved because the school is there, uh, but I don't have any receipts. And we know that a man's last name is Sanderling. Uh, Sanderling. Sanderling right. helped build it. He was a surfman, right. right, a longtime surfman. So we know that there's, and the school was for both lighthouse keeper's kids and surfmen's families. Right. So it makes surfman,
0: sense. Was there a surfman's rescue station right here? Right here,
1: so that actually predates the lighthouse. 1874, gotcha. that opens, and the lighthouse is not operational until the end of 1875. Okay. And there were, of course, more life-saving stations right. than there were lighthouses. They were like every seven were, miles or exactly, something Exactly, like yeah, See? yeah, initially even farther, right? And right. so it's the, met- the wreck of yeah, the re- yeah. metropolis that brings national attention mm-hmm. to the Outer Banks to say, that never should have happened. Why was the next station so far away? Why did we have to travel metropolis? so far? The Metropolis happens right off. Of, that's 1878. That's right off these
0: shores. These shores. Uh
1: huh. I think January 31st. Uh, not that it matters. but yeah. right middle of the winter. Miserable yeah. and failed. Um, I mean, some people survived. In fact, they all spend a lot of them eighty some odd. Spend a weekend in the keeper's house overnight, breakfast overnight again. They must have been, it must have been a mess. Think of the like the trauma, the mourning, the looking for the dead, and trying to feed Feed them when you're usually just feeding. At that time, there are about 22 people living in the keeper's house. So big families start here initially, uh, or at least by 1880. There's a lot, the census tells us there's a lot of family, three families. So the lighthouse station. Well, the lighthouse itself is operated by three keepers families. And at the time, the keeper's house was just a, it was the only dwelling was a duplex. So the principal keeper had his own side with his family. And the other side houses two keepers families.
0: Why, living why together. was it three families? Was, was there just that much work that they had to revolve?
1: Yeah. So what we understand is that the one keeper would go up half an hour before sunset and slowly get everything ready, open the curtains, slowly light the light. There was concentric wicks. You want you didn't want it get too hot too quickly on the lamp, which initially is lard oil, uh, and then that person would work till midnight, and then the second person would replace him and work until. Mm-hmm. But you can't do that seven days a week. I mean, you could, but that's unkind mm-hmm. to force your workers to work seven nights a week, third shift. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. And so there was always a third person. Somebody had to sail across the sound to the post office. Somebody had a sick. Supplies, somebody you needed a third person exactly yeah, okay. right polish the brass, make sure. So the lighthouse, you know, has to work 24 hours a day. And Cape Henry to the north and Body Island to the south, they have to have a different beacon at night, right? During the daytime, they're painted differently or in our case, unpainted. But at night, if everyone's burning oil, you're just going to look like a bright light at night. That's unhelpful to mariners. You have to create something unique. And in our case, it was a matter of, Lifting up a weight around a drum, releasing it, having it controlled by a governor so it didn't plummet to the bottom, and that rotated three flash panels around solid—not solid, but steady—and unmoving lens and prisms, and uh, that was on a wheeled apparatus that went around so the lens. you kind of have
0: a man-made flash of some exactly. sort. Exactly.
1: Yeah, gravity-powered. Yeah. Um, but then that's got a whole cable down the tower. If that gets—if that gets gunked up. Somebody's got to, you know, you're yeah. not allowed to let this light go out. <laughs> yeah. uh, so you've got to make sure that's working.
0: Right. Wow.
1: And it's, that's a complicated system or that's a system, you know, just because you crank it every two and a half hours. Sometimes they call it a cable, but sometimes they call it a chain, you know, what the weight is attached to. So I can imagine the, the machinery on that could, you know, could be hard to fix if something got tangled. It's a massively heavy system.
0: Right. right and the uh are you you're not associated with the uh the hunt club next door
1: no the Whalehead club the whale right club. right so that's not built till 1920 or the early 1920s it takes to build that right. and i really sometimes think about the outer banks as before the wright brothers fly and after the wright brothers fly okay. and i consider that to be a people know we're on the map at that okay, point, right. right? The hunt clubs are, are showing up. Although there are hunt clubs before the Wright Brothers fly, but that really becomes afterwards a let's come down, let's let's essentially vacation in the wintertime, which is the exact opposite from how humans are these days, right? right? We're dead in the wintertime around here.
0: You know, it's funny, you know, interviewing Weiki Wise in a podcast and he made the observation and I don't know if this was his own observation or what, but he said, um, you know, historically, humans don't go to the ocean shore to go hang out. And if you think about the settlements on this beach, we didn't go straight to the shore. People didn't go straight to the shore. They went on the sound side. A, there was wooded areas. It was a little bit protected from yeah. wind and waves. Dead
1: people wash up on the beach. Right. right? That's <laughs> the whole point. Is This lighthouse is here to try to stop that from happening. But we know in the first 10 years of these lighthouse keepers being here, they're burying people. Mm. along the poles on the pole road that goes to the telegraph station they're burying them because all of those poles are numbered so if you want to find the body again to return it that's how you find because otherwise if you just put it in a a body in a dune you're never going to find it's like finding a wedding ring you're not going to find it on the the
0: surf rescue guys keeping a record of all yes
1: and then if for instance the italian dead have to go you know, be shipped back to Italy or whatever people, I don't think that happened, but you know, if, if it's a closer death, then, then a lot of times you'll return the body to have it buried at home. So yeah, that's, we, and even our lighthouse keeper's house, the front of it, even though it's such a beautiful house, it looks beautiful from the back too, but the front of it faces the Kuratek sound because that's where life was, right? You wanted to go to a bar, you wanted to go to church, you wanted to go to the post office, you would sail across the sound to do that, that was life, that was danger, right? Yeah, he's definitely, that is no doubt about. Well, also, until infrastructure comes with the Wright Brothers Memorial Bridge, through like the Wright Memorial Bridge, this is a maritime world. You got around through, that's why, there were so many lighthouses, little screw pile lighthouses in our waters, right? Everything, there were so many light, and when we think about our lighthouse keepers, this is not, we, hold them in high esteem, but whether they held the Kirtuk Beach Lighthouse, there this is one of 14 lighthouses they mm-hmm. might have served at, right? Mm-hmm. They go from tower to tower or from station to station as part of their job, you know, either promotions or just changes. Right. And their lives just really rotate on the water here. And that's all the Outer Banks is, right? It's fishing, it's hunting, yeah. and it's getting around on boating or even eventually ferries. Elizabeth City had ferries coming down to Nags Head, right? right? Or to Roanoke Island. It was a maritime world, which is so interesting because now someone's trying to give me a sailboat. And another person was like, don't take the sailboat. You don't have but two inches there. What are you going to do with your sailboat in Kerala? Don't take it. It's just going to mess up your yard. Um, you know, it's just such a different world yeah. now that there are bridges and roads.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that in my research as well. I've, I've been doing a lot of reading about that local local history. And yeah, it just... It falls right off.
1: Yeah, it's Um, a complete different life.
0: When when they started building highways and roads, Mm -hmm. just the whole maritime thing just
1: dries up. Once you build a road, you have to build the dunes because you cannot have washover on your road because roads are very expensive. So once you build dunes, you have to get rid of the cattle. right? And so what used to be really like a cow island, I think body island used to get called cow island, all of that sort of changes. I mean, that might not be the only change, breeding cattle for specific characteristics is also becomes a thing but you know what you can't do if you let them free-range uh, but it's an incredible change on the Outer Bank since this lighthouse has been built
0: right right so you've done a lot of research um, are there any particular families that fascinate you that were here at the lighthouse
1: uh, s- yes well the Austin family has, I think we have at least four keepers with the last name Austin, but yeah. sometimes they'll swear they're not related to each other, <laughs> uh, which I think happens when you have so few real families right. on the, you know, and one is the Outer Banks were so isolated, right? So you do, you have the Tillots, you have the Austins, you have just a few last names. Mm, yeah. Uh, but then, oh no, I'm going to lose my train of thought. Hold on. What is my, those families? Things, right? But what was I going to say? You have, oh, you have families that are isolated on the Outer Banks, but you also have, and I guess I could call it this, the nepotism of the Lighthouse service. service, right? Where your dad was a lighthouse keeper and then you get into the business. And that might just be because there's so few people out here. But even across the United States, you can see that the Lighthouse Service is very family integrated, right? Like right. their grandparents and fathers and sons who, who get the jobs. Right. Uh, so... Uh, there is a guy who I adore and I don't know why I'm forgetting his last name. I might have to look it up if we like him too much. Uh, But just some storytellers here. One guy who swore he witnessed cannibalism out at sea, (laughs) that there was a hole, there was a, a wreck and they had to tie themselves to the mast, right? Because they couldn't... I mean, that's the other thing about the ocean being a place of danger is that nobody... There's no YMCA for everybody to get swim lessons, right? right. You know, like, there's no guarantee that 50, all of these 50, people yeah. could swim a 50-meter, right? <laughs> um, so, and also, you wouldn't in a major storm in January. You're going to have trouble getting in. So one of our lighthouse keeper tells a story of how he witnessed a ship's captain and cook tie themselves to a mast for four days. And then when the storm stops, the cook is dead, and so he goes over and slits the throat of the cook and drinks the blood because he still can't get in. So there are some some story. Is that lore? Is that true? Could be true. Right. Why would I don't know that you would make <laughs> that's a pretty fantastic story. I don't know that you could even make. I don't know. Right. So we have lighthouse keepers who cannot get along initially. One who served in the Civil War or who was conscripted by the North because he knew the waterways. And so when he at our lighthouse is not built until after the Civil War. So you better be a declared Republican to work here, right? But then if you, from the locals' perspective, looks like maybe you were a traitor, uh, to, yeah. so that can be complicated. And then, as I mentioned, two families are living on the north side of the house. And so if you're not getting along and you have all sorts of kids, yeah. right? There's no great birth control methods out here, right? And you're living with your family, you can have a lot of kids. And then somebody might've died and you took your niece on right? There's a lot of people in this house. And so when you work for the federal government and you don't get along, you get written up and then you have to explain yourself. And we're told that your wife poisoned the dog of the other lighthouse keeper. And so in the, the, right after this lighthouse opens through the early 19, excuse me, 1880s, there's a lot of drama going on. And the funny thing is after they get rid of those families, because again, these families move from site to site, they hire three bachelors, I'm like, I don't think that was unintentional. <laughs> Everything
0: got a lot more
1: simple. <laughs> and then for a while, we have brothers who were here, and that seems to work well for a long time. But uh, one eventually gets sent to Ocracoke, where he serves until, and then he eventually dies there. So, and Ocracoke at the time is not easy. It's not easy to get to Ocracoke today. If I go to Ocracoke right. on a day trip, I am exhausted by the time <laughs> I get home. Um, but. All of these are, in some ways, the lighthouse keeper who means the most to us is Homer Treadwell Austin. He's our last oil-carrying lighthouse keeper. And it's his great-grandson who works in the late 1970s to found the nonprofit, The Outer Banks Conservationists, to save the keeper's house. That keeper's house was built four times in the United States, and it's the only one still standing. Right, it was built, it was a prefab They prefabbed At least ours we know at Lazaretto Point in, in Baltimore wow. We can There's a newspaper article talking about the framing of this House there and you can see When you get into the attic The framing, it's like A1 and A2 Like all the beams are meant just to Be repositioned right. uh, But that's true For two lighthouses in South Carolina And a replica of this house Is also there neither of which exist and one in California which was intentionally demolished in the 60s.
0: Now, when you lived in the uh, the house, was uh-huh. it good to go or did it need a lot of work? Or?
1: Uh, no, it was in it was it, it had had a lot of work. We don't move into the house until 2005. And that's de- so the nonprofit had no money when they start here, right? They celebrated getting of a grant. I think it was $1500 uh, to help out. So they are here working in the summer times, right? Like working on the wood, taking off these things, trying to find enough money to get, to send yeah. them off to, to, to get. professionally
0: uh, restored. Exactly.
1: Uh, but a lot of the restoration work is done by them. They've got skills, right? Even today, that's John Wilson, who's the great grandson of Homer Treadwell Austin. He has an incredible eye. He's an artist, but he's also an architect. So, And he had found the architectural plans for this house in the National Archives. So there were plans to follow. Uh, which allowed that to happen. But it's the good work done on that house that causes the Coast Guard to say, hey, by the way, we don't... Well, they, the Coast Guard doesn't get the lighthouse group or the lighthouse establishment until 1939, right? And it's a little bit unwitting, unwilling. They, they, they have a job to do and it did, they didn't want it to be building preservation. But you have to preserve the building to keep the light at the top, right? right. Because... That's cast iron in a maritime environment. It's gonna rust. If you let it rust and if you don't care for your brick or your mortar, you're gonna have trouble. So Coast Guard says, hey, look, you've done incredible work the past 10 years on that house. Wouldn't you like to lease this tower? We'll keep it going as an active aid to navigation. You lease the building and open it to the public, get the money to do all the renovations on it. So. That was how that agreement started initially, which is the Outer Banks Conservationists leased that building from the federal government. And then in the early 2000s, the Congress passes a law called uh, the United States Historic Lighthouse Preservation Act. What is it called? Historic Lighthouse Preservation Act, something like that. Of 2000, Mm, I can get that right. (laughs) (laughs) Passes a lighthouse preservation act, and we are a sort of a pilot for that to see how well does this work if we release the building to a nonprofit or a city or a town uh, for free. Right, it's excess property. The GSA refers marks it as excess property. And then there's an application process, but we had already done all the work on it for 10 years and put a lot of money already into it. Uh so we were actually granted the deed. That becomes a little bit of a mess because then Curatux sues us because they had also applied the county of Curatux, sues the nonprofit that I work for, and said, We think you're lawbreakers because we zoned you as residential, but you don't have any bathrooms on site. And as such, you in your application said how many humans you let in a year. So you're obviously against ordinance with running a museum on what you're on zoning that you're not allowed to run a museum. You're gonna to have to put 30 bathrooms on site. And my organization said, no, we're dedicated to historic preservation. And this is one of the best preserved light stations in America. Wow. We're not putting dirty bathrooms right inside our fence. Plus, we already helped build your bathrooms. We already funded the bathrooms right outside <laughs> our fence. So that went through a lawsuit. That's actually when I came on, wow. when they were pretty sure they might run out of money. So they were like, we have enough money to pay y'all for a year. Do you want to come and work here anyway? And I was like, okay, we'll move for a year. It's fine. Um, but then we, that eventually was settled. Uh, so we do own the tower and the building we're sitting in right now, actually. Which is its own interesting story. Because what happens is in 1937, the lighthouse keepers are all sent away. This lighthouse is automated in 33. No, excuse me, electrified in 33, automated in 37. You don't need people doing maintenance if if all you need is somebody to come once a week to power your generator for your battery, right? And that'll run for a week. You can get somebody on the mainland to just take a boat over, run it for eight hours, and go home. Uh, and so they send the lighthouse keepers on to other jobs, and then eventually they can join the Coast Guard or retire. But People eventually realize in Corolla, these buildings are unused, Yeah. right? Like, wouldn't this cute little storehouse look good in your yard? Okay, well, it's just built on a little brick foundation. Let's just haul it. Uh, and so, eventually, the site starts losing integrity. This building disappears. All the woodwork inside the keepers, the keeper's house. The windows walk away. The banisters walk away. Vandalism and theft. You know, I actually try to prefer to think of it more as like... <laughs> repurposing. Okay. It's clear decade after decade. So by the nineteen fifties, the grounds themselves are given from the federal government to the state of North Carolina. The State of North Carolina has an obligation to maintain this property. They're in Raleigh. They're not coming out. Even when right. I came out in the nineties, getting to Corolla was really a hard thing to do from Chapel Hill. Right. Same from Raleigh. You had to go through
0: they don't care. Out of out of
1: my, exactly. So it does make sense to me that decade after decade of you being like, hey, that's a shame to watch those buildings go. Wouldn't I repurpose that banister somewhere else? Yeah. I can understand that mentality. Anything else would be a little bit crazy. Uh, but yeah, by the 70s, you do have these Virginians coming down. There's a lot of dune buggying up on Penny's Hill. The, or even in the 60s, right? It's easy to come down from Virginia Beach. And people are staying in the keeper's house, right? There's graffiti all over it. Um, marijuana carved into a wall, people's names up. I mean, again, part of me is like, hey, why not? Doesn't that sound like you'd have a good time? Nobody's paying attention to that building and we're just coming down for the weekend to have a right. good time. We're partying. Um, and that is when John Wilson, the great-grandson of Homer Treadwellson, says, hey, shouldn't we try to save this house? Curituck apparently at that time was considering burning it down because it was a an attractive nuisance. It yeah. was going to create some sort of trouble with that kind of usage yeah. uh, and that's the story of how so in that sense to answer your question a very long <laughs> way we do look back to Homer Treadwell Austin who did he served at 14 different places whether he remembered this one specifically as his best station a lot of people did think Curtuck was their best station because it's on land you know there's so many screw pile towers mm. out in Albemarle Sound yeah. all of these sounds near us that's a bachelor station. You get sent there. You're there for 10 days. Your wife and kids live in Wanchese. They go to school on Roanoke Island. That's sort of where life is. Right. And then you're traveling. You're by yourself. You better have the capacity to be solitary and not too mournful because that's what your life looked like. So this, and again, by the 1890s, we have a school here. We have a post office by 1895 or 1896. So... This is a place people really wanted to be. They had kids. They were like, "Let me go to Curtice Beach Lighthouse." Everything is nearby, uh, and so that—that that is a fact that people really wanted to be here. Right. Or Virginia.
0: What's what's the name of the guy Bowden? Um, Ernie. Ernie. Yeah. Ernie Bowden. Uh-huh. Do you have any Who good? Who just Ernie, died? Do you ha- yeah. Do you have any good Ernie Bowden stories?
1: I don't specifically. I knew him only very peripherally. There are a lot of good stories. You know, he's in jail and running. He's right, either right. been elected or running for office from jail. Yeah, uh, I heard that one. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's a lot of lore when you live that long and have such a cowboy ethos, right, in a place where that's not even a option, an option anymore. Right. You know, then
0: I heard that he would be on horseback. With a six-gun uh-huh. on his hip and just roaming around. Trying to get his buffalo. Looking, <laughs> looking <laughs> for his buffalo and whatever right. herd he had out yeah. there. Just, just, you know, the wild, wild west. You yeah, know? you know
1: who is who you might want to talk to is Clark Twitty, who knew Ernie Ooh. well. Yeah, who He, wrote, the he book. wrote that book, yeah. Yeah, didn't he? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think he wrote the book from an interview that he didn't actually right. conduct, right? The interview had been done, oh, really? I think, 2009, 2010. He you know, he gathered it and put it together and gotcha. put it with photos and, but I think he also knew Ernie well.
0: Right. So, um, and I'm jumping around. We sure. can always come back to some of these topics, but you've been here a while. You're a historian. You're, you, I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff here. What's the coolest thing you have found here? While you've been here? And maybe it was something on the beach. Maybe it was a piece of paper. Maybe it was a person. I mean, what's the coolest thing you've found?
1: Probably, let's not talk about the two female hitchhikers I picked up once. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> uh, No, right? I was like, women hitchhiking. I should be helpful here. Who? <laughs> there might have been. A- anyway, I'm a big believer in hitchhiking. It's not really a thing that happens on the Outer Ranks, particularly not with Snap Map anymore, because kids don't need to hitchhike anymore. But when I was a kid, I thought it was awesome. Right. Anyway. When you say, what are the most interesting people you've ever picked up? Those two come right to mind. But that is not the story (laughs) I would think of. In 2010, actually, I uh, ECU, the maritime... Who was it? Maybe it was the state, actually, called me and said, hey, someone has found a really interesting shipwreck right off the lighthouse. Can you take one of the yellow tags we left you and just go tag it? Just put this yellow tag on it that indicates... The state knows about it, and we'll be out there soon to check it out. And that, in fact, Ray Miggs, who you and I had been talking about earlier, who was a Roanoke Islander with a a metal detector, yeah. worked on talking to Mark Baznight about because you're not supposed to take these shipwrecks. It had well the story behind it was it was really the oldest shipwreck ever found uh, north of Florida on the Mid Atlantic. Wow. It had no metal on it. They th- you know they figured it was 16th century maybe. Wow uh and so that was fun that was fun for a variety of reasons one because we had it was in such good shape when it first washed out right it was all the what they call trunnels which is short for tree nails right you put two different kinds of wood a kind of wood nail in your wooden frame that swells and Mm -hmm. then holds uh and But what happened is it was still buoyant. And so all these, the storm that exposed, it had been exposed earlier. And I guess Ray Midget knew that, but then it was covered with sand again, then it was exposed again, but then it started washing away and breaking up. And so it was just gonna disappear, right? It was just gonna break up. And so Ray Midget convinced, I think Faznight, that we were allowed to take it off the beach, but we were gonna do the work ourselves. So I got Corolla Community to really jump and our fire station came out with a. Di- we got we got excavators. We got a guy from Delaware who saw us posting about this. Come down with a shovel. He just drove down to help, and we end up getting it on a flatbed, dragging it off the beach, here under a tree on Outer Banks conservationist property. Wow. But then the state said, actually, it really is interesting. We want it at the graveyard of the Atlantic Museum. So then they paid to get it loaded back up and brought down there. Unfortunately, they didn't have the money to preserve it, and it's really falling apart. But if you're ever at the Hatteras Ferry with an hour because you missed the ferry, oh. then you just <laughs> yeah. walk on the backside of that museum, and there's a cement pad back there, and that's the shipwreck.
0: And, and you don't have a name for it, and don't have oh, an exact year.
1: ECU uh, <laughs> does have a name. Okay. They always get named I think they named it after the guy who found it. But then they did, they, before they let it go, they sent uh, maritime history students out to do all the measuring and all the wood okay. research and where could it have come from and is it from Europe? And they got wood experts on it to figure out was it from Denmark? I, you know wow. There's a lot of, actually, Nathan Richards is a fascinating person to talk to. He is the uh, uh, PhD at ECU now. Uh, in you maritime see, history. Mm-hmm. Maritime archaeology. He'll be mad at me for not remembering his title uh, or his uh, department. But he knows everything about shipwrecks on the Outer Banks. See, also, he's Australian.
0: Okay. So yeah.
1: He'll be fun to talk to.
0: He is fun. He's I'll, great. I'll, I'll try not to mimic his accent. Try very hard. <laughs> I, I have a bad habit. Tend I tend to do that. <laughs> um, okay, so tell me... Again, we're bouncing around. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the school and, yeah, tell me about the school.
1: Sure. So, uh, <laughs> Sylvia Wolf, who's actually now the director at our school, uh, had been at a meeting where some commissioner had sort of offhandedly said, there's just no need for a school out here, which is true. Sounds, if you sounds like a challenge. <laughs> if we took it as a challenge. He did not mean it as a challenge. But it's true. If you don't have a school, then there will not be people to go to the school. It's just, if you don't provide the service, chicken and egg, exactly. But I wasn't going anywhere. That was sort of my intention. Like I, as I mentioned, I could live in Chapel Hill on an upstairs condo above a parking lot, or I could live in Kerala and I was going to stay. I was staying here. So I was like, all right, well I've got the energy and I, have I can make a mean to do list, right? I know if that's the bear we're trying to get, what baby steps it takes to get there. Right. That's my skill set. Sylvia is a dreamer and an educator. And she also has an incredible amount of energy. So together we made a great thing. She's like, we should do this. I'll be like, here's how we're gonna do it. Here's our to do list. Who got it done? Has it been done yet? So yeah. she's got the. I'm I'm the grump of the group. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's you're, it. We are the mean person. Makes I'm everybody the, do work. Exactly. Or I'll just do it myself. <laughs> um, but that's it. We decided to figure out what it took, which meant asking around. First, we just said, "Hey, Keratuk, won't you?" Just give us a substation school. Just send us a teacher or two. Don't give us a principal. We'll get a, a building for it and it'll just be a school. You don't, it can be Jarvisburg Elementary. They said, absolutely not. You need 70 kids and then we'll talk. Uh, so we had, well, we opened in 2012 with 15 and some of them were for, from Dare County. So we did not have 70 students to start off. Um,
0: D- does Dare County? Do those residents contribute?
1: Yeah, so not personally. Okay. So uh, we open ended up looking at, you know, what do you call that? Private school or religious school, just to have a school. Right. But charter school, it turns out, is just a state school, right? So it's the accreditation is done just by the state rather than a, than a local board of education. So when you get funding from the state like that, there are no county lines. Right, so Dare County students and, and Currituck. If somebody wanted to come from Oyak, they certainly could. Of course, and we've had people get on our lottery from Oyak because now we're big enough and with little enough space that every year we have a waiting list. Wow. But we had some wild people who thought it would be a good idea, given what we have, that they wanted their student here and not there. But it's just too long of a drive, right? It's just yeah, wild it's to think you want to do that. Unless you work here or have a reason to be here it's Corella's far out. It always has been.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I was. I live in the Southern Shores and I had to Google, you know, how, yeah. how many minutes it would take me to get here. Uh-huh. It was 36. I thought, oh, I'll get up there in about 20 minutes. Like, 36 no,
1: minutes.
0: Yeah. Holy smokes. Oh, yeah.
1: 20 minutes from the Hampton Inn. Like, yeah. every time I have to go to, I'm like, how is this Hampton Inn, which is <laughs> in Arcana, still so far away? Yeah. But yeah, 36 is right.
0: Yeah. And can I say, I feel like when I moved in here 25 years ago, you know, I felt like, I felt like Kerala was just three places. It was the golf course, it was Timbuktu, yep. and it was the lighthouse. Uh-huh. And I seem to recall, I, I kept feeling they're really close together, and they're not. Oh. There's like eight miles in between <laughs> the southernmost point and the northernmost yeah. point. Well, and don't you forget, can't walk from one place to the other.
1: Don't forget the beach, I mean, like the four-wheel drive the four-wheel area, drive. right? Because yeah. that goes up to mile plus, I think, twenty six. So we're 26 miles. It stretches a lot. It really, and it's so narrow. I mean, people always say that. Why is the lighthouse built so far from the ocean? Well, one because it's tall. So, and we have this first order for an L N, so it shines really far. But also because it can be, there's only, it's a very tiny strip of sand here, so yeah. you might as well go smack in the middle of it, yeah. right? Might as well not be right on the edge of either side because we're so narrow, so long, yeah. and so narrow.
0: Yeah. So what were we talking about? We were talking about the school, we were talking about... Oh yeah, how
1: did the school happen, maybe? tell right? <laughs> now? Let me turn... Tell yeah, you were talking about... Said.
0: So, yeah. so you were just talking about uh, the, the lottery and this, that, and the other thing? Right, so well,
1: that we ended up with the charter, right? That's how we decided right. to, which is where you have to apply to the state to say, he, here's a compelling reason for us to open this school. And charter schools in the rest of North Carolina are very polarizing uh, because you draw off from a public traditional school. You draw off people, and if you don't provide transportation or a meal, then that can be, you know, you can really end up getting criticized for what ends up to be people who can afford to drive their your school or something. We were the opposite, right? We were a charter school because there was no traditional school here. And if you were going to put your kid on the bus to go to Curritac, you've driven your kid as far as where our school is, right? We're at the Winks, right? We're uh, essentially, which is where the bus stops right? to take people to Curritac or that, to the Mainland. Does everybody load there? Uh, they can, these they, no, I think they stop at another place.
0: There's, there's like yeah, they'll two stop. or three more spots. Exactly. Okay. Which, uh. which makes sense. I mean, it's already a two hour drive or right. something like that. It's yeah. Like, why add 20 stops? Right. You know. Let's well, and essentially, for
1: those kids going to the mainland, this is obviously the first stop. Once they cross over the bridge back into the Kertek mainland, that's when they start real bus stopping They do more. Oh, they pick up everybody.
0: Well, I guess I guess it would be an empty bus. It it would would be an
1: empty bus either, and you can't send a short bus anymore. Apparently, you have to have a full-size bus to go over that bridge. So that's forty thousand dollars a year. They tell me, and that was years ago. I bet it's more now, just to pick up one or two kids. So we always thought that was insane. Anyway, we're like, why don't you fund us, and we'll do the work for you. Yeah. But then of course we've run out of space now. So we started with fifteen. We have 44 students this year. So in our two-room schoolhouse and also the Kerala Chapel has allowed us to use their fellowship hall. Cool. How, many,
0: how many full-time teachers? We
1: have six full-time employees. Uh, one is a director and five licensed t- uh, teachers. Two of them special ed, ed educated as well. Really? Uh-huh, general ed and special ed masters. Okay. Yeah.
0: So, so they, they serve to... We can serve two populations if needed.
1: Well, we do. We're a public school, right? We are a public school. We are not allowed to ask any questions of you of any interest. I don't even think we're allowed to ask gender at this point. We say, what's your name? What grade are you going into? What's your birthday? Essentially to get into our lottery. We draw a pure lottery. We don't care what county you live in. That is on us to be non-discriminatory names out of a hat. hat. First and second, kindergarten and first grade get drawn first because that's how we move kids out of one classroom. You know, that's the room with space initially. So we fill our kindergarten and first grade classroom first. And then if there's still spaces, we fill the other classes.
0: And returning students get priority? Yeah.
1: You only enter the lottery once if you're coming back and siblings also get priority. So if you're, you're already in our school and you have a kindergarten brother, that is our first drawing. So,
0: right. Okay. And you're sitting at 44 kids, and how soon do you think you can expand? Or is the construction of a new building dependent upon everything?
1: Uh, it is in terms of making sure we have everything in order. We've done soil testing, uh, worked with zone, Worked with the HOA that has a covenants that controls that spot.
0: You have a location.
1: We have a location. It's right next to the school schoolhouse. That's donated land to our organization. So there's a lot of support in this town because you realize if you want this infrastructure to be supported, you need families. You need people with houses because otherwise they're gonna be driving from Columbia or whatever. All day, every day, you say, "Ah, my house wasn't cleaned on time or whatever. It's because people are driving into Corolla to work. So the idea that we would have some humans supporting the infrastructure here uh, is, is, is important to a lot of people from the real estate agents to the businesses themselves. A lot of these business owners have kids in our school. Um, so that allows them to li- to be workhorses who work all the time, like yeah. the the businesses too.
0: Yeah. And how have you seen, um, what kind of evolutions have you seen up here in Kerala? Um,
1: well, COVID changed things a lot and I don't know if that will settle out, but at least during those two winters, we saw more people than we've ever seen up here, right? You can count on the seasonality of Kerala, which is something I like about it because you see 55,000 new people a week in the summertime, right? Yeah. And then in the wintertime, you're lucky to see 100 people here. I mean, I know there are more of us on the voting register. But like in the wintertime, you see no one. You want to take a shower naked outside? No one will drive by. No one will know it's happening, right? right. Absolutely true. Uh, and that felt different during COVID. Like they were here. Goes they down. were ready. To, no, in uh, COVID, oh, on they, the contrary. They, yeah. they moved into their second homes. They were like, what businesses are open year round? What right. can we do? And so there was more vibrant winter, certainly. Uh, but that was a lot of people working What do we call that? I'm working remotely. There was a lot of people working remotely. And I don't know once real life returns to other places and cities are more vibrant, whether we're going to compete, whether they're like, actually, I like this year round or I really liked it as my summertime utopia.
0: Yeah, I I think it's both. I think I think there's people that just love the convenience of the city Mm -hmm. and, you know, just different restaurants or everything's there take out Air, airports yep. train stations whatever you need doctors doctors yeah you know so I think those people will probably migrate back yeah, yeah and other people are just happy with it right so well and stay. houses
1: are selling for <clears throat> just insane numbers these days right yeah. so if and I don't know if that's evening out now but for a while there if you wanted to get out that was a great time to do it in terms of selling high
0: right how often do you leave, leave uh, the beach? Now, I know you had kids in school and...
1: Oh my gosh, these days it feels like I never leave Kerala. <laughs> Sometimes you, I go down south, I'm like, I haven't driven my car in a <laughs> long time, right? You know, it's it. If I'll go down south for a doctor's office appointment, for a doctor's appointment, or to drop a kid off at school or to go to Chapel Hill to see friends.
0: Yeah. I don't, I don't think about it much anymore, but when I moved here... It was a shock to my system because I was a weekend warrior, I was going here, I was going there. And then I think I I worked here for one summer, I was working in Duck, and I think I didn't leave. The furthest I got away for about three or four months was maybe Elizabeth City, you know? And just to go back up to virginia beach to a mall i was picking the city i couldn't believe all the people there you know just it was a shock to my system And now i don't even think about
1: it well when i first moved here people would be like what can i bring you i'd be like okay honey yogurt (laughs) steel cut oats go to whole foods for me go to trader joe's for me and honestly these days our grocery stores have so much it feels like that they say what can i bring i'm like loose leaf tea got it or i guess amazon chain if i want loose leaf tea I can get it delivered to my house, which wasn't true in 2008. It wasn't even close to true. Right. and You had to get... So now, not that I want to not leave Corolla, because sometimes you have to leave this town to keep your sanity. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. This is going to be my first year as an empty nester. Yeah, so yeah. we'll see. Am I going to become a wild woman? It's a chance <laughs> I'm going to be. We'll find out. You'll have to check with me next That's year. That's
0: right. <laughs> You know, uh, we'll see. We'll see what your status is in January. Right. You know, no so kidding, if you've gone right? Stir crazy. I might just be red rum fl- on the door. You know?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Yeah, we'll find out.
0: If um, again, squirrel brain taking over. If anybody wanted to help the Wave School or donate to the Wave School, is there anything they can do?
1: Absolutely. So we're just at a million of our 1.35 goal, which again, these are estimates because we have to see what the soil testing says and what are, how deep are our piles going to be. But, uh, we did have a donor who gave us $250,000. We are more than happy for somebody to try Mm. to match that. (laughs) That would really, really make our lives wonderful. In the meantime, we have done things like put boxes, like cash boxes, and raffle things off. That sometimes gets you $25 or $100 donation. It's much harder to get to $350,000 of our last bid on the $10 donations for sure. So we are not above coming to talk to people about why our project is a worthy cause. I
0: have a jar of pennies and tomorrow. Thank you, (laughs) I love it. We actually
1: have kids who count for us. I just need to be clear, they are Sylvia's children and they're heroes to this town because they count coins. I
0: I know some of these kids. I've coached them in lacrosse.
1: Yes, you certainly do. And then they bring the coins to our gas station who wants coins because there's a coin shortage. I tell Sylvia they are unsung heroes. They watch their movie and they count coins. That's amazing. But pennies are really, Mm -hmm. we have a wishing well in the lighthouse and I can tell you, pennies are a very hard way to get (laughs) it. So we have uh, raffles going on. We have, we really feel like people who, are contributing to the infrastructure up here could help us out again because the county won't you know that we're not part of the public school turned us down the public school system turned us down so at this point we're doing it on our own it has to be through small donations or big donations but individuals so we have a uh give butter dot slash oh, making yeah. waves. You know, that's a yeah. it take the reason we decided to go with that is because people can put Venmo and PayPal on there for small donations. That's right. Um if somebody wants to send us $100,000, we would definitely rather a check so we don't lose anything off the top. There you go. Um but yes, thank you for asking. We also have volunteers at our school, right? People just come in locally who are like, "Hey, I was a mathematician. Oh, I worked for Boeing or not." Or I have free time on my hands, and I'm a kid, and I wash dishes here. But I don't know what to do in the wintertime, and I'd love to get involved because getting involved in Kerala is an essential if you expect to live here and have your mental health.
0: Or you will lose your mind.
1: You'll lose your mind. No, or you will drink so much, or you will <laughs> yeah. turn to draw. You know, there it's very there's an isolation factor that a lot of people think they're driven toward. And then when they find out about it, it's a lot of, there's no point in thinking that that much, right? What is the point of life? No one
0: knows. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I know exactly what you mean. And I try to tell people, I work with a lot of young people in my old business that I sold. And, um, I work with a lot of these young people and I tell them, it's like, you know, if you want to live here, You better find something to do in the wintertime. I'm a parent of three kids. I coach lacrosse. I I have stuff. I got stuff. But that single person who has nothing, you're going to lose your mind because there's nothing to do. It seems like, like you said, utopia. But after a couple months of doing nothing, you're going to lose it.
1: Oh, and I even think possibly, I mean, there's only so much to watch on Netflix at some point, right? You know, like, yes, you have to have things to do. Or you, or you, and a lot of people do end up being like snowbirds or whatever that phrase is, right? Right. Where they'll go somewhere else in the wintertime. But again, the families with kids can't do that. So those of us here, we were like, we work all summer long, right? I'm at the lighthouse every single day, practically in the summer. And then when when you have kids, you're here every single day, right? When you're a parent on the Outer Banks, there's no off season.
0: Right, right. (laughs) Um, Yeah. My, My wife and I, we had corresponding or I should, I should say opposing um. careers and you know she'd take care of the kids in the summer I took care of them in the winter and and yeah there really wasn't much downtime
1: right kids don't allow for that yeah. <laughs>
0: they're on their own agenda <laughs> um, you know it's funny is uh I saw this on Facebook years ago just a few years ago and and it must have been somebody from I'm pretty sure it wasn't you but I think it was somebody from your cohort that said posted something on Facebook that said oh by the way this is a working school, so don't come knocking on our door, you know, looking oh. for a tour. And I thought, you guys are missing the point. Here's a great curriculum and entrepreneurial <laughs> skills. You yeah. know, give them a tour, hand them a broom, let them do some cleaning. <laughs> we could put them to work, have them take a donation. Well, it's
1: funny. So we did have someone come by who thought our kids were actors.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> we love that. Yeah. And but actually there is a skill that we expect our students to have, which is graciousness with with vacationers. again, it's like walking into the lighthouse. Why do you know anything else? You just right. showed up. Right. You're just looking around. Why would you necessarily know? And we know people on vacation do not read signs. It does you can which is why we actually try to limit our signs at the lighthouse. People are like, You need more signs. I'm like, why? So people cannot read them?
0: Right. Good <laughs> Excellent. I can, I can relate to that. Right. <laughs>
1: you know, sometimes, but it's true sometimes, which is fine. I don't need these jobs to go to automation, right? There's people here right. to be kind and friendly and to help people understand what's going on. So right. we do try to make sure the students at our school also have some sense of hospitality.
0: Right. And I kind of, uh, I, I would, in, in the training of my business, okay, I used to own water sports, you know, we bombard these people with waivers and safety talks and go this way and do this, you know, we give them tons of information and they're on vacation. They don't want to absorb all this information. You know what's interesting though, I'm digressing big time, but the kids, if they have kids with them, the kids will absorb all of it. And I think maybe because their brains are still turned on to absorb as much information as possible. That they're like, yeah, dad, he said, you know, go down to the end of the pier. And yeah, dad, you're doing this wrong. And, yeah, dad, you got to sign here, not there. Oh, interesting. The kids, okay. Yeah, the kids would absorb everything. And the, and I think the parents said they just want to shut it off and yeah. just, just take my money yeah. and get me on my jet ski. You know? Right. Very, very fun. Oh,
1: interesting. That could have been a business plan, which is actually we used to let. A certain age of people in free at the lighthouse. And you'd say, oh, well, you'd ask the parent, how old is your child? And they'd be like, seven, seven. The kid is seven. The kid would be like, I'm eight, dad. And so we just stopped asking the parents. We would just ask the kids, be like, how old? Kids do not want to lie. They do not want to be made younger than they are.
0: And by the way, so this is so funny because. You have to be at least 16 years old to drive a jet Mm ski. Never ask the parent; they're going to lie ten times out of ten. Yeah, they will. (laughs) But the kids would tell the truth nine times out of ten,
1: right? Unless unless they've been coached before. (laughs) Look here; this is my favorite comic. I have. It says. I want my 13-year-old to understand how important honesty is, but also know that she's 12 when kids eat free. (laughs) It's some from some Twitter account, but I have it on my bulletin board over there because it made my whole staff laugh. (laughs) These days, you got to be four to climb, so we changed it a little bit. And you know, now we know. Are you four? Nah, you can't even talk. You're not four. Get in a carrier, or you don't go up.
0: Right. Yeah. And. The ironic thing is that there's probably a lot of adults that probably shouldn't be climbing this. <laughs> well, luckily, their heads tend to
1: be too big to just fit through any bars. <laughs> so if we worry less about the I was, adults.
0: I was thinking more of the cardiac arrest going up the stairs. And stuff Actually, like you're that. not
1: wrong. That that, it, In fact, we have to tell people you have to climb in front of your children. They're like, in front, that doesn't seem safe. It's because those kids are going to run off on them, right? The kids are like, I'm up. No. Oh wait! You're still breathing. Okay. <laughs> you're still on a landing. Still on the first landing. Totally.
0: <laughs> That's funny. Uh, this was a great talk, and and loved listening to you. Is there is there anything as we kind of wrap this up? Is there? I mean, and you know we can go on a little longer, but if there's anything you want to wrap up, um, I'm happy to listen to it.
1: Well, I always like to put in a plug in for Island Farm, which is the other okay. what we consider the sister site to the lighthouse. It's owned by the Outer Banks Conservation. Which is relatively new. Yep. Uh, Relatively new, but now, uh, you know, a decade plus on. I say
0: that. I know. Right when I said that, I was like, you know what I thought? So the windmill used to be right next door to my business. Cool. That's
1: exactly right. And that
0: was the land. It was called Windmill Point. Right. That's where all the windsurfers went. So that Mm -hmm. was a huge landmark for me as a windsurfer and all the other windsurfers on the Outer Banks. And even the kite boarders up to a point. And then when I saw it being disassembled in there, I said, yeah, they're taking it over to Roanoke Island. I'm like, oh, okay, well, at least they're repurposing it and stuff like that. But um, And now that when I said, oh, yeah, it's relatively new, I'm like, yeah, it has been it's at least been 10 a years since, since that thing was uh, disassembled. Yeah, I can't
1: tell if that's life on the Outer Banks or just us getting older, I right? We're like, boat. wait a second, how? Where is this exactly. time gone? Um, but right, they put a lot of effort into keeping interesting content. The thing about the lighthouse is people don't want to hear me talk. They want me to shut up and they want to go in the lighthouse. They want the view. They want the architecture. They want the feeling. And we're okay with that. We created this site to give you a sense of place that we want you to be allowed to have, right? And that's true for Island Farm too, but there's so much content. I don't want to say content. There are so many different daily events that happen. They have blacksmiths, they had a cooper there recently, you know, a basket or a what is the right word for yes basket but barrel no no barrel barrel maker maker. yep uh they have two of the corolla wild horses actually that graze down there that were taken off the beach uh so they and they have a again they have a event on the the spanish flu so they have they have educational events with a guide that that vary day to day and Excellent. we do have a season's pass for the Outer Banks Conservationists where you could come to the, climb the lighthouse every day if you want. We are open every single day of the year, mid-March through December 1st, with the exception of Thanksgiving Day. So if you want to come climb our lighthouse every day for $50, yeah. you could do that. And that will also get you into Island Farm. So that's, an, that's truly the best deal there is on the Outer Banks. And we just Which is a like, good leg
0: workout, too, by the way. It really is, lighthouse. actually. You and I haven't climbed. Why don't we
1: do that first? We'll do that afterwards. That's right. Then if you have more questions, we can go back and do this. I can't believe we didn't just knock that out. <laughs> right. It's a great leg workout. Um, and, in fact, that's the other thing I should put out there, that if there's anybody who really loves climbing a lighthouse, we almost always have docent work for people year-round. You can work a half a day. You can work a day. Nobody really works for me more than two days because... It's a lot of interactiveness, and I like people to love the vacationers. I don't even let people call them tourists. They are vacationers. Everyone likes to go on vacation. Everyone deserves to go on a vacation, and everyone enjoys uh, or is allowed to enjoy it. So two days is about as most as I want anybody to work here, which means I hire a lot of people because I can have up to four people working on at any given time. So both the Island Farm and the uh, Curtuck Beach Lighthouse often or hiring, our school can always put volunteers to work. So we'll leave it at that.
0: Nice. Nice. Oh, thanks for your time.
1: Thank you for your time. This was fun. Thanks.
0: Once again, I'd like to thank Megan Agresto for joining me. I think we had a great talk. Full disclosure, I don't get up to Corolla as much as I probably should. And I was trying to think back to why. And two main reasons is, one, it's about a 40-minute drive from my house. And two... The traffic going into Corral in the summertime is just insane, and I just feel like I never wanted to join the chaos in that trip. That being said, uh, we took a little tour around historic Corrala Village after the interview, uh, and it's amazing, you know, it's it's just so pretty down there. They've done a great job of preserving the buildings. They've done a great job of adding to the area responsibly. It's just a nice area. They got, uh, right there, within walking distance, of course, you have the Corrala Lighthouse. You have the Wheelhead Club, and next to that, you have the Center for Wildlife Education, but you can also go around to some coffee shops, water sports, there's the Kerala Chapel right there, Kerala Wild Horse Fund offices right there. And they're all just on these quiet little streets nestled in the live oaks and other shade trees. You know, it just, It just reminded me that I need to get up there more often and check it out. If you are in town on vacation or whatever, if you wanna get away from the beach and just shift gears for a little bit, I, I highly recommend you check out Historic Corolla Village, check out the shops, walk around, get a tour, see the museums. I think you won't regret it. I think it'll be an awesome opportunity. It's definitely back on my list of things to do on the Outer Banks perhaps during the fall when things quiet down a little bit. Before you go, I hope that you check out the website treasuresoftheouterbanks.com. If you have any friends that love the Outer Banks, please uh, point them in that direction. Check out the articles. I'm constantly adding to the articles every week. Sign up for my emails. Every Friday, I send out Ready for the Outer Banks um, email newsletter. It's kind of my personal observation, local news, and things to do on the Outer Banks. I think it it always changes a little bit. I try to put some fresh information out there. And when you sign up for the newsletter, it just shows me that there are people that are supporting it, and I can continue to grow and do more things with it. So try to keep me motivated out there. And until next time, have a good one.